Hey y'all, welcome back to the Crude Audacity podcast, the podcast dedicated to talking shop, shit, and all things strategy with oil patch influencers. As always, I'm your host, Catherine Mills. I'm a reservoir engineer with a focus on advanced characterization. Our influencer today is known by many names. Some used to describe her are trailblazer, advisor, boss, innovator, international icon, pure petroleum royalty, a creative, but most importantly, she is a titan. Dr. Ramona Graves, thanks so much for joining the Crude Audacity today. Thank you for asking me to come speak. <laughs> now, before we jump into her story, for those of you who may not know, Dr. Graves, or Dean Graves, I have to call her Dean Graves, her story is one of grace, grit, tenacity, and guts. You have been in industry for over 40 years. You were the second woman to ever get your PhD. You have seen all corners of the oil patch from the fields to the research labs. You are an international presence and influencer. Some would argue more prolific than some world leaders. But most of your greatest com uh, contributions have come from not only the boardroom, but by shaping the minds and careers of engineers and geoscientists across the globe. You received the Pinnacle Award, countless SBE distinguished honors, you were the dean of the Earth Resources College, where you were not just in oil, but you were at all angles of fossil fuels. You are now Professor Emeritus. You are SPE Director of Academia. Is there anything I missed? Mom, grandmom, <laughs> dog mom? The, yes, all of those, which are <laughs> equally as important as any. I'm always um, humbled and a little embarrassed when people list those kind of titles and awards and accolades. That's why I'm videotaping this. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, Catherine, um, Catherine worked for me when she was a student. I did. I did. I ac uh, well, I accidentally had to take Rock Pops 308 twice, and somehow I ended up working for Dean Graves for three years while I was here. So, and even in the summertime, she couldn't get rid of me. <laughs> so, we're here today to see your insights, to learn about your legacy, but you have so many titles still. We need to know the entire story. Can you start from the beginning, Nebraska beginnings? Don't leave any details out. Tell us, tell us everything. How did you get to where you are now? It, it, uh, people often ask me this question, and, and I reflect on it because um, it's, it's a matter of, the, of Actually, coincidence usually, uh, a lot of luck, uh, sometimes just uh, being in the right place at the right time, which is the luck. Basically, I grew up in a town, Danabrog, of, with, with a population of 350 people, okay? Then I grew up in the 50s and went to high school in the 60s, and um, I had three options uh, as, a, as, a, as a woman in Nebraska, or a young woman at that time. Um, especially not being in, a, in an urban area. I could have been a teacher, I could have been a nurse, or I could have been a wife. Uh, the options for wife, there were none of them were appealing to me. Okay. Never could stand the sight of I blood. I know how that feels. <laughs> Never could stand the sight of blood or had no idea, no desire to help people in that way or to become a teacher. Mm -hmm. um, I really wasn't uh, thrilled about teaching and I went to a small Nebraska college at the time, Kearney State College, which is now part of the University of Nebraska. 
and I got a, um, a degree in math and physics and suddenly discovered that a degree in math and physics with a, a, a BS in that or a BA in that absolutely it guarantees you you're unemployable. Really? Yeah, well. Why is that? There, there's no jobs for people with, from, a, from basically an unknown college or a college knowing for being a teacher's college. Mm -hmm. So I had to, get to spend an extra semester and I do student teaching. And I started, uh, started teaching near Omaha. So I went from a town of 350 to, um, to a town with maybe 35,000 where I went to college to Omaha, which was at that time 350,000. So Whoa. I'm jumping, <laughs> jumping in increments of 10 there. Um, More men. I mean, yeah, well, I don't, <laughs> no, it was, it was never really, it's not, not that important in, yeah. in my life. Um, I was just looking for something that, that I really liked to do, okay? Mm -hmm. um, I found very soon, that very quickly, that I didn't like teaching. I liked nothing about teaching. And uh, quite accidentally, uh, a guy that I was dating at the time, uh, he and I were playing in a golf tournament in Ponca City, Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. Have you ever been to Ponca City, Oklahoma? No. Oh, okay. Conoco's <laughs> Refineries at the time. Oh. We drove into town, and the, and we stopped at the, the friend the friends where we were staying, and the, and I said, "What is that smell?" And he said, "Well, unlike Nebraska, where the smell of money is generated by cows, the smell of money here is generated by oil, and that that's their refining business." And he started talking to me about, uh, we'd known each other for, for years too, the engineer for Conoco. Mm -hmm. His name is Randy Lowertson, and he said, you can, you should be an engineer. Yeah. But he also told me I should, could be a chemical engineer because that's what women do. So I went, what? okay. So I went, okay. I mean, no, this, you gotta remember, this is a whole different time. So I, so I went to, um, went back to, back to Omaha, it, it looked into some, uh, some things and found out that I could, take some classes long distance and over the summer at the University of Nebraska. So I started taking chemical engineering courses mm -hmm. and I took this horrible course, the second course in organic chemistry. It's the worst course I've ever taken. I just hated it. And so I'm thinking to myself, will I ever find something that I like? Yeah. I mean, I liked my life. I was traveling, I had money, I was single. Um, I was living in a big city. There was a lot <laughs> going on, um, but I, I didn't like what I was doing. So in that class, I was asked to do a report. Now remember, this is um, early 70s, mm -hmm. and a lot of things were happening in the U.S. around the late 60s, early 70s. A lot of bad things, uh, the Santa Barbara oil spill, mm -hmm. Long Beach had subsided about 30 feet, uh, the Cuyahoga River had started on fire, the oh, river yeah. started on fire. Uh, those things drove the formation of the EPA. Yes. It was also... Woodstock. I was also the first man landed on the moon. So there was a lot happening in society in general. We had, we as young people, young adults I should say, had faith in science. Yes. We could do things. But we also had a very big trust in, a mistrust in uh, politics, mm -hmm. in big industry, um, and in the oil business. Kind of sounds like what's happening today. It, it, it really is. It's, it's quite fascinating when I look back and see all the things that are, are happening. And, uh, and so I decided to do a report on the evils of the petroleum industry. What? And, uh, the evils, the evils. I was going to get rid of this industry. Um, <laughs> and, and so I did, and so many of your listeners won't, won't understand this, 
but I had to go to a library and get yes. a book. We have Audible now, just FYI. Yeah, and you've got, <laughs> we've got Google, and, and I could Google it. Um, even my mom can Google things, and she's 92. Um, but I went to the library, and I started reading petroleum literature. And instead of being angry, I was really fascinated by what the, the magazines were saying about this. Mm -hmm. So I thought, you know, maybe, maybe I could get some kind of a degree in this or start working in it. So I get another book, and I, find, I found out there was such a thing as, um, as a petroleum engineer. No idea what it is, but it was a thing, and it was yeah. engineering. So I went, I looked, and I got another book again. Took, you just take us time to look at stuff. I mean, did you hit your limit on checkouts? Oh, always, always. Um, yes. You, you guys think you carry around a lot of books now? Wow. Um, anyway, mo mo most of your weights, laptops. But anyway, um, and so I looked, and there were, there were the three top schools in no particular order were Stanford, A&M, and School of Mines. So I applied to all three. Um, I got a full-ride scholarship at Stanford and A&M and was rejected by Mines. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Very interesting. So I went, ah, okay. Uh, Texas Cowboys or California Crazies. I decided <laughs> to go with California or with Texas Cowboys. Um, and then um, I quit my job, mm -hmm. which was, oh, a, a good teaching job. For me, it was a good teaching job. And I uh, went to Europe for the summer, bummed around. And when I came back to Nebraska, uh, I received a phone call. And it was from the Colorado School of Mines. Yeah. And as it turns out, I wasn't rejected because of my application. I was rejected because at that time, the Colorado School of Mines had a limit. There could only be 3,000 students. I believe that I, parking today was ridiculous. Yeah, it was ridiculous for me too. Yeah. Oh, I, got, I, got to, I have got to talk to them upstairs about this too. Anyway, <laughs> um, so um, I, decided, I decided, you know what? Um, I think I ought to go to Colorado. I like the people, I love the skiing, I mm -hmm. like, I've been out here a lot, neighboring states. So I came to Colorado I walked into my first class, um, and it was statics. No, it was strings and materials, now, now called mechanics and materials. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, I walked in and sat down, and those of you that are familiar with, with the Colorado School of Mines, it was in Stratton Hall. <laughs> it was on the, uh, the top floor, and I walked into the building, very nervous, and I asked the secretary, that's what they preferred to be called at the time, asked the secretary where the closest rest, or where the restroom was. And she said, go out this door, take a right, take a left, one block down. Are you serious? I yeah. didn't know this story. Yeah, there were, there were no uh, uh, female bathrooms. Oh, my goodness. There were female bathrooms, but not in every building. <laughs> and so I said, oh, dear, class is going to start. I don't want to be late. So, so I, they said, she said, well, there's a, one up on a unisex up on third floor, but the door's broken, lock's broken, so you'll have to have somebody hold the door for you. So I went for the third floor, found some guy, and um, <laughs> to hold the door for me, went to the bathroom, sat down, looked right, and I was looking into the classroom across the street. There were no curtains in the window. <gasps> I know. Well, why, why should there be? There were all men here. And so... Uh, and so that, that, was my first, that was my first encounter at the School of Mines, and I had really zero preparation yeah. for um, what a male-dominated um, university this was, what a male-dominated industry this is. Um, I grew, in Nebraska, you, if you had the ability, you worked. 
Yes, exactly. You, I, I know how to. I know how to. I helped my dad rebuild a 1928 Roadster. I grew up I, in a barn. I'm I irrigated. Yeah, you, you, we do this. So I was. I was re really not prepared. Any of my background for, for what what I was facing going to school, but of course later in my career, it was it was really a, it was really eye opening. It wasn't it wasn't scary. I wasn't smart enough to be scared. Isn't it, that the best thing? Though? Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> you don't know better. <laughs> so I went into uh, strengths and material. I just have to call that. I was the only woman in the class, and our instructor walked in, and threw down his books on the table and said. Let's just get it straight right now. My objective is to make men out of you boys. They're going to make a man out of you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that's how I ended up at the School of Mines. And again, um, I ended up, I was going to get a master's. And my, my dissertation, and my thesis advisor said, oh, with a little more work, you can get a PhD. So I said, a little more work, OK. In the meantime, married, uh, one child, mm -hmm. um, another one on the way. and. And I was working downtown for, um, well, I can't remember the name of the company, Resources Incorporated. They, they no longer exist. But I was doing, um, I was designing frack jobs in, of all places, the Permian Basin. That's everyone's favorite. <laughs> it wasn't then. It was, it was before it was the thing. Well, it was, they've always had oil and gas. But um, so I worked in uh, Odessa and Midland. Um, and I was really having fun. I, our main client was Central Bank. Okay. and doing economic evaluations. It was fun. And I got a call from the then department head school of mines, Craig Van Kirk, and he yeah. said, yeah, and he said, uh, your advisor just quit. He's had to go in, and this is in August, and school starts in two weeks. Will you come and teach? <laughs> well, as you know, I've already told you, I hated, I hated teaching, hated yeah. anything about teaching. So I said, I'll tell you what, I owed him a lot because he'd helped me, um, he'd helped me navigate this, uh, sexist uh, institution out here, which it was at the time, yeah. and, uh, and he helped me navigate through to get my PhD, or to get him my PhD, and I, I owed him, I said, you know what, let me think about it over the weekend, mm -hmm. no, knowing for full well the answer is going to be no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I went home that night, and, um, and the next morning I woke up with morning sickness, and I was pregnant with my second child, and my son was only three months old. And so we decided, you know what, that might not be a bad for a year, because I was traveling, I was doing some work in Algeria, and, and spent a lot of time in Midland, Odessa, to stay home for, you know, to be based out of, out of Golden. Yeah. And I went, okay. Just kind of let life get yeah, organized Get for organized. A bit. I said, so I'll, I told him I'd do it for a year. I was guaranteed a job and a partnership when I went back to the company. Okay. They were, they were mines. Where, <laughs> you know, the al alumni of most of our universities are so... Um, so committed to uh, to other alums. And, we actually and have one of the best networking systems and, I've ever experienced in my life. And it's, it's it was really amazing. So I said, oh, okay. So I'm guaranteed a job. I'll just do this. Um, I hadn't taught for more than a month, maybe two months, and I walked into Craig's office and I said, I want to do this forever. What changed your mind? What happened? I found out that it wasn't the teaching that I disliked. It was high school teaching. It was high school athletics in Nebraska. It was high school parents. Yes. It was <laughs> teaching, we still call it out here, I'm sure. It was teaching bonehead math. It was teaching students that didn't want to study. Yeah. Um, it was administration that were more concerned about keeping their jobs. It was all those things. Come to mind, so within, within, one, within a few months, within one, within one semester, 
The students were fantastic. The students were here because they wanted to be here. They wanted to learn. The parents were fantastic. They were so proud <laughs> of their sons at that time and a few daughters. I got accepted into mines and were, were going forward in a career in the petroleum industry. Um, the administration was very, very supportive of innovation, creativity in the classroom, just get the job done, all the things, and, and athletics at mines. It's, it's not about athletics, it's about, it's, uh, athletics in, it, in and of itself, it's about the skills that athletics can teach you, mm -hmm. about teamwork, about hard work, about time management, um, about committing to something and following through. Uh, I never had a problem with, a, with an athlete at School of Mines ever. All I do is call the coach. I don't care how good they were, they would get benched. I love that. It, it's, it's a wonderful thing, and they're very, they're very, very successful. No participation trophies. You put in the work, so you get the outcome. That's right. And so it's, it's, it was, it was really great. So, so I said I wanted to do this, and um, I wanted to teach. And fast forward, going through the the normal academic promotion, you, you know, from an instructor to an assistant professor, associate professor, full professor. And then uh, Craig decided to retire, and they asked me to be the interim. And I said, oh, yeah, because I, I was the ass assistant department head at the time. I said, yeah, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll do it for a year. Words have been spoken like that mm. before. I know. <laughs> so I think later on you're going to ask me, do I have objectives and a plan for life? No, I don't. I mean, yeah, I, I knew that I was happy doing what I was doing. So that's your strategy. The strategy is, and, and look for opportunities. Mm -hmm. and, and don't say no, just because I was happy. Oh, I can do this, and it's a commitment. I was yeah. absolutely um, committed to the Colorado School of Mines. I was absolutely committed to petroleum engineering, absolutely committed to the students. Um, there's no doubt. And I felt I could keep contributing by being the interim department head. Well, of course, from there it went to department head. And I loved being a department head. My impact was bigger. I was involved in um, academics, the petroleum industry, from a much broader, broader perspective. Mm -hmm. Being involved in the, um, the petroleum engineering department heads, at that time it was US, looking at best practices. Um, it was fun learning what everybody else are doing and yeah. taking the best practices and, and bringing them back here and sharing what we do well. Yes. And that was good. Um, during that time, of course, there's always been a, a huge international focus. And what I learned there is um, I knew I never wanted to live overseas, hmm. but I knew I wanted to work overseas. Yes. And that was one of the motivations that my advisor had told me um, to work in the U.S. Now, remember, this is back in the um, early 70s. To work in the U.S., you can't, as a woman, you can't tell anybody you'll have a Ph.D., because then they'll think you're just uh, an academic and don't have any common sense. So don't tell me you're a PhD. However, and you probably won't be successful in the US regardless. However, if you want to be, say in petroleum engineering, you have to get a PhD because internationally they respect education. Yes, absolutely. And so I said, okay, well that's so, I always knew I'd wanted to work internationally or interact and, um, and I've, traveled to many, many amazing places. That have had the, this, this, uh, this school, this job, this career um, has, has given me opportunities that I had never anticipated or planned for. Um, 
people will ask my mother, who's still alive, 92, I mentioned that, you know, aren't you afraid? Because, I mean, she still lives in this town of 350 people. When she goes to these places that we don't even know where they are, mm -hmm. and, she's, and, and I've told her many times, I said, people are basically good everywhere. I agree. I mean, many times, um, am, am, I, am I afraid, and we were just talking about, am I afraid in Istanbul? No more afraid than I am in Houston. I mean, it's, 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 being, it's being aware of your surroundings and uh, being with people that you know and respect. and Being and, respectful. And being respectful and, and being kind and, and not being the ugly American, if we put it like that, or not, <laughs> or not being the know-it-all U.S. Yes. educated petroleum engineer. The know-it-all. That's the, the know key it phrase. All. It, it really is. You know, and it's, it's not a, it's, it's, I don't like blanket statements that it's, that it's like that all mm. over, but, but um, yeah, just uh, humility is very important. Exactly. And, and when you ask me what makes a successful engineer, um, it, it's pretty easy. Mm -hmm. Hard work, show up on time, be kind. Yes. Look for opportunities. Yes. To contribute, to contribute to your own career, to, to contribute to your companies. These are, these are not lessons that you learn out of a textbook. They're ways of living. I agree. And, and so that's what you have to do to be successful, looking for opportunities. But most important, and really this is important, you have to really love what you do. I agree. And I don't too. care whether you, um, I just had, when I, re I recently retired, um, I should <laughs> tell that um, after 40 some years. Um, but um, one of my, my life lessons that I always uh, really respond, that I think about often, was from when I was a graduate student, and it was with the um, custodial staff. Hmm. helping me um, when I needed a little bit of um, extra muscle strength, of, of his extraordinary kindness to me as a graduate student. And he recently retired also after 40 years of working together. Really? So you can never, the, the, experience, um, the experiences of whether they're the CEO of the company, whether the board, or whether they're the people that are cleaning up your coffee cup messes, mm -hmm. which you should clean up your own. Yes. Um, <laughs> But it, it's, you can learn something valuable from everybody. Usually those are life lessons. Well, your path to getting your PhD wasn't the most easily paved one either. Can you elaborate a bit about what you did, perseverance you had in order to become the second woman to get a PhD in petroleum? Yeah, it, it's interesting. The first woman was from Stanford, Christina Konamides. We're still very good friends. Um, and and uh, I always say, I won because she only had one baby. I had two. Oh, is that what? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah so we, we jokingly talk about it. We, we Neither one of us knew this. We were just doing, following our, our, our passion, our goal, whatever we wanted to do. And we never even thought about being the first of anything. But um, nay, yeah, I lost track of the question because I was reminiscing in my mind. <laughs> How? So you had a lot of uh, oh. hurdles you had to get over. Yeah, it, it was, and, and most of it, I only only one time did I ever did I ever seriously consider not following through is um, I was um, I was in graduate school and the department head at the time not Van Kirk the department at the time called me in his office mm -hmm. and he had his um, I don't know probably endangered species alligator boots uh, up on the desk oh yeah his ankle with his crossed at the ankles and I'm not sure what was in in his cup I assume bourbon. <laughs> and smoking a cheroot, we could smoke in the buildings then, um, and said, little missy, 
He called you Little Missy. Uh-huh, little Missy. Love it. I <laughs> want to talk to you. And I went in, uh, yes. Um, and he said, uh, I've done some research. And if you stay on track, you'll be the first woman U.S. born in the U.S. There were some other women in Russia and Turkey that had PhDs. This is a U.S. woman. You'd be the first U.S. woman to get a PhD in petroleum engineering. I will not have that shame happen on my watch. And your reaction was? Uh, Thank you, Dr. Bass, (laughs) and walked out of the office. I was, I was about to leave for my summer job, yeah. and I thought, well, I'll figure out over the summer what I want to do. And in the meantime, he was ousted, and Van Kurt came in and had an exactly 180-degree conversation. I'll help you any way I can to be successful, not because you'd be the first woman, but because uh, we need diversity in the industry. He was mm-hmm. way ahead of his time, and we yeah. still, still do. It's hard to believe that, I mean, that really, 40 years is not that long Mm-mm. ago, but it's hard to believe, or just... The, all the opportunities that have been bestowed upon me alone, that that was something that you just had to recognize, yeah. accept, and that kind of prejudice yeah. was really there. Yeah, and, 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 it, and it was, and it was, and I know it's hard for younger women to believe. Um, I really didn't think about it that much. School of Mines is hard, uh, petroleum engineering is hard um, from an education standpoint. Uh, I spent, I had, I had my study network, um, usually they were, um, non-traditional students, uh, married students, ex-military. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a study group. You know, many of them were married or many of us were married. We're called non-traditionals. Well, non-traditionals. <laughs> back, you know, we didn't have a name back then, but we gravitated towards each other. Yeah, exactly. And so there was a, there was a huge support group. There weren't, there weren't, of course, any women in, in the support group, but it, I didn't even think about it. Good for you. I like that approach. Yeah. Like, thanks so much. See you in a few months. You know, um, and it was just because I was so shocked. I didn't know, you know, you were, I mean, I was taught to be respectful, and this was my boss's boss's boss, and this was the head of the department. And I thought, well, I guess he pulls the strings. Because I'm not a revolutionary. I'm not a trailblazer, like you said. It just, it just happened. Hmm. Okay? Because I didn't think, well, I'll show this, yeah. this old SOB. You didn't start out with a mission. No. You were just following your personal strategy. Yeah, my, my, yeah, my personal strategy, my personal passion. I really liked what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And so that, that, that's, oh, with the way, one more part of my, how I got here. I'm loving being petroleum engineering department head. It was really a fun job. Yeah. And the president at the university at that time said, we're forming colleges. I'd like you to be the dean. And who was that president? Bill Scoggins. Scoggins. Seven seven five eight. Seven seven five eight. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a podcast for another time. Um, but, but he, um, but he said, okay. He said, I said, no, I don't want to. I'm really happy doing this. And he said, okay, uh, then we won't form a college of your specific disciplines until you agree to do this. So he formed two other colleges, and he used to call us that weren't a college the others. <laughs> the others. Yeah, and so we the department has got together, and I said, okay, I'll do it for a year. Another year. Another year. Oh, yeah. my goodness. And so, yeah, that's the other thing that, that if you're going to have any, you've got to be flexible, and it's so hard. I never thought about these things as I was going through my career. I mean, it's just maybe ingrained or because of my um, Nebraska roots or because of um, just who I am in general, you know, the looking for opportunities, knowing that most decisions you make in your personal life are not earth shattering. Another opportunity will come up. I mean, it it will. Yeah. 
and maybe that was what was meant to be. <laughs> and so it just, I just followed the path, somewhat tortuous, and um, it's been interesting in my retirement. I was, I've been, been thinking about the last year, it's been a, a celebration of my career, I won't say a celebration of me, but of my career and the people that I've taught. And um, one of the speakers, um, Barry Thomas, uh, spoke at one of my retirement parties and he said he'd done some statistics of how many working petroleum engineers there are um, now and I have taught 5% of them. That's Five amazing. to 10%. That's amazing. He said, so you have influenced the industry. So that was a, I never started out you to do that. You didn't just influence the industry, you shaped the industry. Well, thank you, but I, <laughs> I, have, I have a hard time with those kind of accolades because all students do is, um, it, it, during this time, it's amazing how many students came come back and tell me a story of when they came into my office. Uh, <laughs> one young man brought his, a young adult now, he's probably in his late 30s. You can drop names. It, but it, it came in, well, I won't. And he said, uh, when I came in, and he wanted to introduce his wife to me, um, he said, I, I haven't talked to you since I graduated, but I can remember after taking your 308 exam and, oh, I guess failing, failing a couple of them, um, you told me that I should consider, consi should consider a career in the military, that I had the recruiter's number available. <laughs> and, I'll, I, I, and I don't, I mean, I would say that to people, but he said, I don't want to do that. And I said, because they'll, they'll at least teach you how to work, yeah. how to follow directions, mm -hmm. how to have discipline. And that's all you're lacking. You've got the brains, you wouldn't have got in here if you didn't have brains. Yep. But you're missing the discipline, the work ethic, um, the desire. He said, well, if that's all I have to do, I can do that. And he's been very successful since then. I really didn't want him to join the military, but <laughs> but the, I, I guess several people said, I remember when you told us that. And told you us jerked what, a knot in their <laughs> chain. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, yeah, it's, it's been fun. Well, you're talking about your career in terms really of minds, but most probably, I mean, most in terms of students, they don't realize that outside of minds, you're quite savvy in business as well. You've done things in terms of laser drilling, breast cancer research, and you have a company called 4.0? 4 4.0 Energy, yeah. So I, being a reservoir engineer, I'm very interested in laser drilling. Can you talk to us a little bit, give us the highlights of what exactly laser drilling is, and then go into the strategy behind 4.0? Okay, I'll give you, um, I've got to, I've, I, remember I'm not teaching now, so I get a chance to lecture. <laughs> Number one, this is another thing of success, is sometimes sometimes you have to, not sometimes, almost always you have to think outside the box. And in 1998, I believe, uh, the Gas Research Institute put out a request for proposal. They did a lot of research also, not besides just teaching. And it was to revolutionize drilling. We'd basically turned to the right since um, for the last 100 plus years at the time. <laughs> and so, I mean, we, we'd, we'd drilled smarter, we drilled faster, we mm -hmm. were electronics, we had monitoring, we had measurement wide drilling, but basically we were fundamentally doing the same thing, mm -hmm. just doing it better. <laughs> so this proposal was revolutionized. At the same time, um, at the same time, uh, the U.S. government came out with, well, something happened in the early 90s, the, the uh, Russian wall fell down, and we now uh, had, uh, were friends, uh, to use the term loosely, with Russia. But the US, the U.S. government at that time said, we've just spent billions and billions on Star Wars laser technology. 
We now have to declassify that and get that into commercial use. Um, and so those two things happened at the same time, and that's reading, that's, that's not necessarily reading just technical journals. Um, but I was working with a former student at the time, Darian O'Brien, he said, you know what, we're a couple dumb reservoir engineers, maybe we should revolutionize drilling, ha, ha, ha. Went back. We worked on a short course, came back, wrote up a two-page proposal, and we won. We were the only, out of all the submissions to GRI, we were the only one that was revolutionary. That's it was amazing. A, well, in the whole call, but everybody else that applied was a drilling engineer or drilling people, drilling, drilling, drilling. And they were thinking about their discipline. We weren't thinking about the discipline. We were thinking about revolutionary. Mm -hmm. Okay? And we didn't know it couldn't be done. <laughs> and so we had, had... Again, that benefit. <laughs> yeah. And so and so we uh, did, did research and we had several sponsored everything from Petavesa, from International, from Venezuela, to Halliburton was a big sponsor, um, the Department of Energy, um, guess we had governments, international companies and, and, um, and service companies, all committed to seeing this forward. And after about um, six or seven years, we had, we had done enough research, we had proved that it could happen, okay? With, with the research team, with a lot of work from a lot of students, a lot of people, and published a lot of papers, and it, it got some attention. And a lot of um, um, venture capital people were coming to talk to me. Mm -hmm. oh, let, let's make this a commercial operation. And um, and so there were there were a, a two gentlemen, and, and one that I still do business with, Mark Land, came, and I said, okay, we can try. Yeah. And. Um, Together we got uh, some really big time investors, started a company, 4O Energy, but then it had expanded from laser drilling into laser rock interaction because it didn't take long to figure out that the industry was not ready to revolutionize drilling. Yeah. The industry had billions, trillions sunk into drilling as we now do it. So what the, was the reaction? I mean, y'all are getting such positive things moving yeah. forward, but just from your other colleagues who might not have been mixed up in it, what were their thoughts? Um, we're, we're, we, do, we do a very good job in drilling now. We're very savvy. <laughs> we're very technical. We make a lot of money mm -hmm. doing what we do. What's the impetus to change? Mm -hmm. Well, the impetus to change was you would make more money. You would drill faster. You would drill safer. You would blah, blah, blah. Well, I, I think I think it could be safer, but it, but that was never really proved. But you could definitely drill faster. You could drill more, um, which meant more economically. Mm -hmm. uh, the impact was definitely less. Blah blah blah. But it would it would be a transition. It would be totally throwing out what we had done for over a hundred years. Exactly. And the, and the service companies were not really interested in it either because just think when I when we would when we would drill rocks we would change their character. We would melt them, we would vaporize them, we would chip them, mm -hmm. but we would change their character. So every logging tool in the world would have to be recalibrated. True. So now it's not just the drilling, it's also, and then all of our, you know, we're an industry of correlations, all of our correlations would have to be redone. And the investment to change technology, I don't know if the reward would have paid off because to change that dramatically, so we started a company, 4O Energy, and we decided let's, let's not revolutionize. Let's take and have laser-assisted drilling. And okay. we had our own coil tu tubing rig. We were drilling uh, 
uh, small holes, not small in diameter, but maybe 10 to 20 feet with our coil tubing rig, okay. with pa passing a laser through fiber optics, and we were proving it could be done with existing technology on rigs. So, so you're not completely so, steering so it everyone. Was, it was not a paradigm shift. It yeah. was a step change, which okay. is important. Um, but still, there were so many problems, and many of the things we discovered that, hmm, rocks are lasers, love rocks. They absolutely, a laser's light, and it just goes, it's light energy, it goes right where you point it. It didn't care about earth stresses, didn't care about the rock type, it didn't care, it went where you pointed it. Mm -hmm. And we thought about, gee, what about doing things like um, cutting windows? Yeah. You know, sidetracking, sidetracking when you have, have a, where you're drilling normally and get stuck and can't get out and sinking millions there. Let's go in and quickly sidetrack. Uh, how about perforating? How about, um, how about doing stuff like um, during the Macondo, taking a laser d down hole and, and slicing a, with a rover and cutting into the rock. So then even we expanded the, the thought of laser rock interaction or laser drilling. Now we've expanded into perforation, into windows, into environmental. How about decommissioning, um, decommissioning nuclear reactors, sending a laser in on a robot hmm. and, and doing it? How about we have in this globally, we have an infrastructure of, of uh, underground pipes that are failing. Yes. And absolutely, there's no vibration, there's no destruction. And in urban areas, most of the pipes that are failing, they're under buildings. Yes. We go in a building, cut a hole in the floor, change the pipe without disrupting, without any vibrations whatsoever. How about um, doing inspections with this? So we expanded to much broader, to laser rock interaction. It started by, and I hate the term, but I'm going to use it now, by... by thinking outside your discipline. Mm -hmm. One of the things, and again, we had to do, we were using, we were using uh, Star Wars laser technology, so I was in all the major military labs in the country. That's um, awesome. Oh, it was awesome. Like, were you in the Pentagon? No, we oh. didn't, I didn't go to the Pentagon. No, we, just, we went to the, the labs. We went to, like, like in Albuquerque, to the Air Force, where they, where they had the coil, the, the coil laser, and that's what we put on a 747 to fly around and, uh, and zap things from the air because it left no trail. That's awesome. Um, and it was White Sands in the Army, White Sands, New Mexico, the highest powered laser in the Western Hemisphere. Amazing. We don't even know what happened when we, when we zapped that rock. It just disintegrated. Um, <laughs> but um, it, it, was, it was an amazing time. But when we were in at Albuquerque in the Air Force lab, um, we knew the coil would work. Oh my, it was a perfect, it, the laser and the, the wavelength and it loved rocks and every type of rock. But the military, the scientists said, uh, it'll never work. I'm sorry, but it has a horrible byproduct. And, then and, and we're going, oh my, it's gonna be radioactive. I said, oh my God, no, what? They said, it's, we, we've never been able to solve this problem. They were a bunch of laser physicists talking to some petroleum engineers. The laser physicist's insurmountable problem was the byproduct was salt water. Are you serious? Serious. And we just started laughing. Oh and, my goodness. And we went, wait a second, that's what we, we are not oil and gas producers, we are salt water producers. If there's one thing we know how to handle is salt water. Oh, that is. <clears throat> 
<laughs> it's absolutely a great story because to one discipline it was an insurmountable problem. To another discipline it was a day in the a day exactly. in the office. It was is what we do. It's what you do every day. And, and those are the lesson life lessons that you learn when you when you're working with people outside your own discipline. So um, that that was very interesting. So the the company's expanded. Four O. We now have our research is in still in the Littleton area, and our. Uh, our main offices are in Houston. So, um, do you still have students here in the school? No. Yeah. And when we became a company, we stopped publishing, and you have to publish when you're doing research okay. because of the patent issues. Yeah. So no, it's it's a it's a viable viable company. We have many many um, industry industry uh, uh, clients. So <laughs> that's one. But the other one that's equally interesting, same story, is breast cancer detection. Yes. Please talk about this. Uh, a couple faculty came came to me, um, and. One was a geophysicist, Manika Prasad, who had been working with seismic, um, seismic waves her entire career in the oil and gas business and earthquake and looking at waves in the ground, okay? And she connected with um, the medical industry, with hospitals, with radiologists for, for I, don't, I don't know how they made the connection, but in their conversations they, they said, um, what you spent seismic well you know what maybe we could do that for um for a mammograms how about we have change our method of detection for breast cancer detection and so i funded research and i didn't do the research but i funded them again took a risk um funding something cause nobody else would fund it because it was just too far out mm -hmm. took a risk funding we jokingly called it the blaster bra Okay, I love that because our our mascot of the School of Mines is Blaster. Yes, uh, a burrow, a jackass. Yeah, donkey, and donkey, whatever. <laughs> um, and and we, his name's Blaster, and so we called it the Blaster Bra, and um, and they took this technology which was looking deep in the earth for faults, fractures, earthquakes, whatever it is, um, stability of dams, uh, where's the oil and gas, where's the water, all these things we were looking for in the ground. You could take that technology, tweak it, make it smaller, and 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 you'd have to develop that technology to detect um, tissue changes inside the breast that were potentially cancerous. So it was basically oil field technology, the opposite being transferred to the medical technology. I love that. It's it's a it's a and there are just there's there's. A, there's a million stories out there about, but it's just people willing to take a chance saying, that's a good idea, mm -hmm. you know? And what the, the rewards are huge if it works, and, and if not, we'll learn a lot about, about science and what we can and can't do. And this is ongoing research. Yeah, this is ongoing research now. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, so, so there's a lot of uh, fun things you can do in the, in the research arena. So we have gone through your history, and I know there's so much more there, and good Lord, like, I, I don't I was awestruck sorry if I didn't ask a lot of questions but one of the things I did in preparation for this podcast was ask a lot of your former students and colleagues what they would want to know if they cornered you in a room some of them were <laughs> funny <laughs> but the one thing that did come up is because you've had so much experience in this industry everyone wants to know your take on where the industry is headed next in the next 10 years what might be the next big play, next big technology? What do you think is going to start changing? 
Catherine, it doesn't surprise me that people want to know this, maybe not from me. I mean, I want the gift of foresight. Yes, yeah, I don't have this. I don't have my crystal ball with me, never been good at this. But it, but it, it really, it's pretty simple where, where, we're, where we're going. Our industry will stay strong. Oh, we, absolutely. We've always been up and down, up and down. There will always be jobs and a need for petroleum engineering and petroleum engineers. Mm -hmm. It's the multidisciplinary nature of how we're educated and how we're trained, okay? The petroleum industry is, when you consider everything from the refining to the manufacturing to the plastics to all that that uh, um, oil and gas contributes to, we are the biggest, most influential industry on the globe. So there, there, is, there will always be a need, because that's one of the things that students always say, Where's this going? Or the parents mm -hmm. ask me, will there be will there be jobs? Should we actually like stay in our major? Yeah, should we do this or jump ship? Um, and again, we'll go back to what I was saying before our short intermission here. Is 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 if you're doing what you love and it's the most exciting industry, the most you have the most opportunities to be innovative, to think outside the box, we'll go back to that overused term that I've been using. <laughs> but but there but there's there's just so much to do. Where will we be in the next ten years? Um, we'll still be a strong global industry. What's the next big play? Um, who could have forecast unconventional when I started working in the DJ basin, we used to drill through all the shale play out there. I know. And we'd see this, okay, we knew, we'd use that like as a marker mm -hmm. as to where we, to go to, the, go to the pay. Nobody could have predicted. And and so what's really key to where we're going to be in 10 years, I'm absolutely confident that technology will drive it. Yes. It, it, it's just technology. And so anything we can do as an industry to invest in, tech, in technology, anything... Um, the engineers or geoscientists or anybody associated with the industry can do is like the first half of this of this uh, interview is is look for ways to contribute, mm -hmm. look for innovative ways to do this, to ways to invent, to get to get more bang for your buck. It, it's out there. But I have one more thing before you interrupt me, <laughs> Catherine. Stop Sorry. it. <laughs> um, I'll edit that. <laughs> okay, <laughs> you don't have to because it's you and I. Um, but it, it's I think that we have not. There's a a lot of the global, of the globe, of the world, we have not tapped into. We don't have a good feel at all for what is in, in many of the uh, jungles in Africa, in in much of South America. There, there's just untapped. We have unexplored, um, Anwar. That we know there's tremendous volumes of oil and gas up there. Um, the the Arctic. Who knows what will happen in the Antarctic if we're if we're wise enough to ever be able to develop any of that. I think there are vast portions of Russia, of China, huge countries that are unexplored. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where why we have to always have in mind the global nature of this business and, and, and to look where the opportunities are. I completely agree. But on that note, um, a lot are saying that industry is ahead of academia. So even though we still have petroleum engineers, we're still bringing them on, we're still educating them. Um, some feel that they don't always come out ready to hit the ground running, especially with some of the newer technologies, despite grad school research, what have you. So kind of where do you feel that gap might be? Is there a gap or is there something more our training and managers can do to help us get more, uh, I guess, further along faster? Let's go back to the, the first part of this conversation again. 
When I started, we were talking about libraries, how the technology in this industry has changed in the 40 years I've been in it. It's mind boggling. And so my philosophy is, what good does it do to train students in today's technology? Because within a year, it'll be outdated. There'll be something new, bigger, better coming. What you educate students for is to look for the opportunities, to um, understand fundamental, the fundamentals of science and physics, mm -hmm. to understand the fundamentals of petroleum. Because unless you have a good basis of the fundamentals, you can't, you can't take and run with new technology to apply. Okay, so if we were saying the latest technology, when I first graduated with my BS, there was there was um, debate. I think we better take a slide rule class and a computer class. Cause not really that was a debate. Yeah, not really, not oh, really wow. sure. Not not at mine. This is at, at again at Carnegie. So the the freshman coming in had to take two classes <laughs> because you can't predict technology. You can't predict where it's going. So where where is um, academic academics lacking? Perhaps in training young people in uh, in in things like problem solving, thinking thinking about things in a different way, questioning more, mm -hmm. and then the soft skills, which are very hard, yes. interpersonal relationships. How do you question? How do you um, work in a team? How do you lead a team? How do you follow in a team? Mm -hmm. I mean, no no great, no, there have been a lot of great inventions, I guess, that were done individually, Edison, <laughs> Einstein. But but mostly, most of the time it takes a team to really just do some revolutionary, um, uh, to do revolutionary um, technology and to implement it. It takes a team. How do you drive a team, build a team, make a functioning team? Those are the skills that are long-lasting. They, they, they change, but they don't change that much. Mm -hmm. So we, in my opinion, and again, I'm on the uh, SPE Board of Directors, and I'm the international the, the director of academia. And so I'm looking worldwide, and there is so much we can do globally from an academic side into, um, into normalizing the capacity so that people in Kazakhstan had the same fundamental skills technically and in the team, let's say team skills, technical and team, that people in Kazakhstan have the same as the people in China, as the people in U.S., so that we're able to form these global teams better. Yes. So no, I don't think academics is behind the industry. I believe we should be preparing students for this rapidly changing industry not teaching that technology. It, absolutely, it, it's not, um, we were talking neural nets and artificial intelligence. You know, when I was a, in grad school, we didn't, we, didn't, we didn't teach that, but we understood the importance of it and yes. how to apply it, mm -hmm. but we needed technology to catch up so we could actually use it. <laughs> and so that's, the other thing about academics, and, and, I, and, and I have used this analogy a lot, academics are like an oil tanker, not a sailboat. Okay, we don't turn directions very quickly. It takes us a long time to redirect our course. Industry many times is like a sailboat. This is important. This is important. This is important. Yeah. Um, lay off, lay off people. Um, hire more people. A turn. Look at the bottom line. Do this. Do that. Oh, do this play. Go here. Go there. We can't do that in academics. We are slow and steady, <laughs> and basically making turns. And I would hate to see the state of the 
of the, the, the discipline in general if academia could flip like a sailboat? I guess that's true. You need, you need the foundation. You need the <laughs> slow and steady. Um, well, speaking of layoffs, speaking of legislation, we're about to go into a new voting year. We have a lot of innovators. We have a lot of disruptors. And when things become more volatile, you see them not as active or proactive as they probably would be if they felt they had more you know, stability in their lives. So do you have any advice for those that you know, are the disruptors? They have the potential to change our industry to cause one of those pivots during these questionable. Well, but, but most, most innovation in any discipline happens during a crisis time or a downturn. Mm -hmm. I agree. Be, because in, in downturns is, okay, so we, we knew how to horizontal drill. We knew how to multi-stage hydraulically fracture. We've known about that for decades. Um, but it took the downturn to say, okay, why, let's take a risk. Let's try it. We need an edge. I mean, this could be the, the big edge that would make a difference. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's why I think, and I don't, I think of, I don't think of them as disruptors. I think of, of, um, of, of people that they have ideas that they've been afraid to implement when times are good. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things I found when I was doing the, the laser rock destruction stuff. People said, we're making a lot of money doing what we're doing. We're going to keep doing it. When the times there was a downturn and when I was first developing this, and they said, oh, we don't, we don't have the manpower. We don't have the money right now. And so it's during those times that when you can you can push the the envelope, push mm -hmm. the edge, to use your technology, um, sometimes disruption is not is not technology. It's just ways of thinking. Mm -hmm. And like you said, we're having a new legislative system coming in. That's when these other skills that that engineers and geoscientists, anybody in industry needs to know how how to be. Peacemakers, we're all part of the same universe. Yes. We all love this land. We aren't doing anything out there to poison our own kids where we live. How do you how do you bring that sense of calm? How do the you lights bring... just went off. <laughs> okay, you gotta move. We're sitting here talking. There it goes. There we go. We waved our arms and the lights came back. Oh yeah, well. <laughs> okay. Um so it's it's learning how to talk, how to talk sensibly, mm -hmm. to touch home, not to be and to talk in common terms. We get so used in the industry of talking to like people. That's our business. Mm -hmm. So switch it. I think maybe in in um, let's say most if you're going to be an accredited university, you have to have a capstone design class. Yes. I think your presentation should be, and this is one of the things I'm talking about within SPE globally education, is you don't talk technical. Make one talk to grandma. Make one talk to the legislatures. Make one talk to the environmental activists. Mm -hmm. You know, make one talk to the technical. Make a talk to the investors. We also don't spend enough time in academics explaining to students and helping them understand the importance um, economics and business dri yes. drives oh. us. And it, it just takes that, that uh, faculty member or student that all of a sudden clicks, say, you know what, I need to know more about business. Mm -hmm. I need to know more about what makes this it's because we aren't a supply and demand industry no. we're, we're driven by politics so many other things to understand that it's um th we could do a better job of we can't teach them everything mm -mm. but to instill the importance of understanding business and understanding ec the economics of our business you know that's great advice not only for the engineer or the geoscientist but our industry is made up of 
the field teams, the you know administrative groups, the regulatory land, everything. There's so many different parts. Understanding business as your fundamental mm-hmm. analysis, I think that's advice for the industry as a whole and where, as an industry as a whole, we can get better. You know, and, and if, if you're, you're listening to or watching this podcast, look look at what's available online. Yes. Learn. They have, be, be inquisitive. Check out websites. Agree or disagree, it doesn't matter. But, but take something away. I've never gone to a lecture or listened to anybody talk that I haven't taken away at least one thing. Sometimes it's exactly opposite of what they'd want me to take away. <laughs> but we have, and use your time wisely. Your role and responsibilities here were vast, many. You had so many things to deliver here. What was your daily schedule? How did you plan out your day? What time did you wake up? What were the tricks that helped you be more productive and get everything done? Because we already know you have a lot of titles. Do you have any thoughts about how to stay organized and productive? It, it's very interesting. The um, the new department head in petroleum engineering, Jennifer Miskimmons, I hope you um, have a chance to listen to her uh, her uh, conversation mm-hmm. with Ka- <laughs> with Catherine also. Um, but we were just talking about academics and the role of a department head and the role of an academic. We said there's nothing more exciting than being an academic because there is no schedule. Every day is a new day. Exactly. Every day is something different. Every day something's coming at you, challenging your 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 schedule, challenging um, what you plan to do during that day is very seldom what you get done during that day. Unlike working for a company or industry or in your own company. There's certain goals you have to achieve because at bottom line you have to make a profit or add value. Here it's dealing with people and it's it's different because people are different mm-hmm. and students are different. So how did I, um, as you know, I'm not a planner, I'm not a goal setter, nope. I'm, look, I'm a person who looks for opportunities. Um, I don't, I have always been an early riser, okay? I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, like I was, um, I was just uh, someplace this weekend. I said we may be, get, be getting rowdy. I said we've been known to stay up until eleven o'clock. Oh, I wow! Mean, wow! Living I mean, on the edge. Living on the edge. I'm an, I'm an early riser. I get a lot done in, in the morning. Um, that's my biggest problem now in retirement. I have. Um, <laughs> I have two dogs that haven't realized that I don't need to get up at 5.30, 5 or 5.30. They keep you young. Yeah, so I'm, I'm up awfully early still. Just I'll get, them, I'll get them trained eventually. But so you start early, okay? You've got a schedule for the day, mm-hmm. but you don't live and die by that schedule. I always wanted to get one or two things accomplished that were on my list. Mm-hmm. But if I didn't, that was okay too. So you just didn't beat yourself up. No. You took it as it came. Took it as it came because the work will still be waiting tomorrow. Um, made because I because I raised uh, raised my two children um, for much of the, the, their lives. I was a single parent. Yeah. So I would I would learn when they were babies. I would read to them not out of Mother Goose. I would read to them the latest technical paper. They just wanted to hear my voice. I love that. You know, they, it didn't matter what the story was. When they got older, they figured it out. But they're like, um, "This is not a bedtime tale. <laughs> this is not. This is not fun." But you make use of that time. And now with technology, you can sit in while you're waiting for a doctor's appointment or waiting for a hair appointment, whatever it happens to be. You're sitting in an airport. You're on an airplane. Make 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 that valuable time. Mm-hmm. Optimize that, your time by utilizing right, conveniences. Right, and that doesn't have to be work during those times sometimes you need that time to say you know what I think 
I think I want to spend this evening binge watching Game of Thrones. Do you watch Game of Thrones? I just finished it. I was in Croatia when they released the last episodes. Everyone was dressed up like a dragon hunter of some form. It was insane. Well, and, I, and we can't talk about it because so many people haven't. So, um, so, but, but that those are those are the those are pleasures that I didn't allow myself a lot of. Mm-hmm. But, but to take take downtime, to have some balance in your life, to to run, to play tennis or golf or do an individual sport, because. In, in this career, in this business, team sports are hard because you aren't going to be any place for a long time. Yeah. So develop some kind of an individual uh, activity that you like to do. I, reading, running, sewing, uh, it doesn't matter, okay? Basket weaving. But do, do something to, I think wonderful things happen in your mind when you get away from what you're supposed to do all the time. You use a different part of your brain. Yep. And then all of a sudden you come back and there it is. There it is. And I also think that um, I never I never had the need to sleep a lot. I mean, eight hours was, was an, an extreme sleep for me. Six mm-hmm. hours was enough. Mm-hmm. Six or seven. And it's okay if I took a 10-minute nap during the day. When Pres- did you have time for a nap? I worked for you for three years. <laughs> yeah, sometimes when my door was shut... Oh, <laughs> you know, that's I'm, cheating. I mean, I'm in there laying down. No, you know what? Um, um, I, I learned that from um, reading a book about John F. Kennedy, President Kennedy. Hmm. What was that? What he, was that resource? He used to say, uh, it was, it was a story. I can't remember which, it wasn't the book he wrote. It was a book about his life. Um, okay. But, but it was, he had the ability to take 10, 15 minute cat naps. Power naps. Power nap. Take, take a power nap. And refresh your now you get much longer than 10 15 minutes sure I'm, I'm out for the day yeah but but no don't nothing 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 we do is so important that you need to stress about it i agree well final question do you have a podcast book resource other paper that you would recommend to all those listening that you think would be beneficial for them to indulge in well since i was just just talking about looking at the other part of your brain and, and Catherine had prepared me. This was coming up, and I, I had a gridlock. I can't think, what am I reading now? And, but um, do you know what? A book that really, really influenced my life, hmm. and I've read it several times, Gone with the Wind. I love Gone with the Wind. Gone with the Wind, and that's, I think, a very strong influence because it was, uh, Scarlett was a very strong woman. Yes. Um, made some pretty serious mistakes in her life. Yes. She corrected her mistakes, and she didn't win in the end. You're right. She didn't win in the end. But you know, she's a survivor. She and is. so, and so, I was saying, and it's you know, you can get a lot of things, but but it's funny because I was thinking, what what book influenced me? Gone with the Wind was pretty important to me. How many was, times have you read it? Do you think? Oh, I don't know, a dozen, and, maybe not a dozen, maybe six. That's. Well, you know, she definitely, that's such a heroine for you. I mean. Yeah, it was. And because, and I liked at the end, she didn't get her way. <laughs> I like getting my way, Dean Graves. <laughs> I, I know, I know you do, but, but I, I would, I, it's too bad that, uh, that, uh, that, that the, the sequel, which was written 30 or 40 years later, isn't very good. But the first one leaves your imagination. What's, what's the, ne- what's the next thing for her? What's she, how's she going to survive this setback? And you know, she will. Well, there you have it. Take it, digest it, go turn it into some action. Dean Graves, thank you so much for joining today. Everyone is going to love your story, your advice, and your insights into industry. I mean, it's been 
40 years in the making and we use them daily. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for asking me, Catherine. So guys, what did you think about Ramona's story? She is so accomplished and so inspirational and rallies so hard for this industry. And I mean, lasers? Come on. I would love to work with rock sapping lasers in the oil field. I would probably use them to zap my enemies. Let's just be real. Anyway, if you have any thoughts or questions for Ramona, you can shoot them to me via Facebook, Instagram, or the website at www.thecrudeaudacity.com. Let me know. We will be sure to get Ramona back on in the future for more of her insights and to answer your questions. All right, guys, before you go, if today's episode brought you any sort of value, please rate, review, and subscribe. The more five stars we get, the more often we're able to deliver quality content from industry influencers. And as always, if you have a topic or influencer you would like us to feature, you can get in touch with us via Facebook, Instagram, or at our website, www.thecrudeaudacity.com. We greatly appreciate your engagement, and until next week, give them hell.